Hello, welcome to Injury Prevention Podcasts. My name is Rod McClure. I'm editor of the BMJ journal Injury Prevention, and each month I chat with a distinguished injury prevention researcher or practitioner about topics of their interest. Today our conversation is with Pamela Fuseli, who is President and CEO at Parachute. Pamela received her BSc in Psychology from the University of Toronto and subsequent degrees in Health Administration from Ryerson University and in Creativity and Change Leadership from the State University of New York College at Buffalo. Now we'll be talking during the conversation about what Parachute is, but this conversation will give us a chance to cover topics that we haven't really covered in our previous podcasts, and that's the role of charities and the relationships between their work and the work of researchers, practitioners, and policymakers. And in this conversation, we'll pay particular attention to the collaborations required to achieve outcomes in injury prevention. Hello, Pam. Hi, Rod. Nice to see you. Yes, great to catch up again. Hey, could you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. So I am the president and CEO at Parachute, which is Canada's national injury prevention charity. Uh, I've been working with Parachute since the amalgamation, and I can talk a little bit about that, about how Parachute was formed. Before that, I worked as the executive director at Safe Kids Canada. So I've spent about the last over 20 years working in the area of injury prevention, either focused on child injury prevention or all ages injury prevention in the unintentional space. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, let's carry on, I think, with uh, an explanation of Parachute because it falls off your tongue there, and some of us haven't uh, worked with you before, although I've known Parachute for quite some time, so you've got a a strong record in that organization. Could you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I'd be happy to. We are celebrating, actually, this year our 10th anniversary, and the process to form Parachute was uh, quite an extensive national consultation about what Canada needed in the injury prevention space to in, ensure that we had a one-stop shop or one place for people to go at the national level. And previously, there were four organizations. I led one of them, Safe Kids Canada, and there was Think First Canada, Safe Communities Canada, and Smart Risk. And the four of us were about the same age. We'd all been operating for about 20 years before we before we amalgamated. And there came a point, there was some financial drive drivers to it, but also stakeholder feedback about wanting, you know, to reduce confusion. Who do we go to for, for different um, types of information or programs? And so the four organizations, um, the leaders of the four organizations got together and started to talk about, you know, what do we need for the field of injury prevention? And through a, a quite a complex national consultation that involved both people from the injury prevention field, as well as business and marketing and, and other fields to tell us uh, or give us some feedback on, you know, what might be the road forward for injury prevention. And long story short, uh, we we ended up uh, agreeing that we would all shut down our organizations and we would form Parachute. Now, Parachute continues the work of 
each of those four organizations, but we've also created our, our own programs uh, and activities and initiatives like advocacy initiatives. And, and really the purpose for Parachute, and I think it's really important for people to know that our vision is a Canada free of serious injuries, but really the goal for us is Canadians living long lives to the fullest. And that's embedded or baked into our philosophy and our the way that we um, conduct our business is if we are looking at the leading cause of injury to or death to Canadians aged one to 44 and the third leading cause for all ages in Canada, in order for people to live a long life to the fullest, one of the major things that needs to be addressed is preventing serious injuries. So, you know, that, that, that are fatal or, or very serious. We're not talking about the bumps and bruises of everyday life. Right. So there are some striking characteristics of what you've been describing there. One is that it's national um, and that you've come together through a process of collaboration and people have actually given things up in order to get something that they believe in. So that collaborative process is singular, I think, in an area of injury where you tend to get fragmentation into multiple areas. So you've achieved uh, something big there and you've also got a history that goes back almost not quite as long as modern injury prevention, but it's at the 90s, I guess, if you start taking mm -hmm. into the origins of the original organizations. You also um, talked a little bit about the whole field, just the way you talked about the whole of Canada. And then you talked about uh, injury prevention taking into account business interests and taking into account population interests and, and whole of health rather than simply injury prevention. So where do you think uh, Canada has developed this sort of sophisticated approach to, to injury prevention and how you've actually brought in all of the players together? Where, do, where does that come from? Truly, I think it comes from being under-resourced. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah. have had, it, we've had to collaborate in order to move things forward. But I also think that there have been leaders in Canada that have made collaboration uh, a priority. So whether we're talking about, you know, a lead agency in BC or Alberta, like, you know, Dr. Ian Pike uh, and Dr. Kathy Belton lead, uh, or, you know, we're talking about the, the national organizations that predated Parachute and Parachute, there has always been a very high level of collaboration and a recognition that we can't do it alone. And that I think because injury prevention crosses so many sectors, so we see the results in the healthcare sector and we talk a lot about that, uh, but the, the actual injury prevention interventions happen in so many other fields, whether that's in the transportation field or in education or, you know, in our homes or in our seniors' homes, that we understand that it requires a a comprehensive and collaborative approach to actually take action and get changes made. Yeah, although justifying how you did it in terms of that it was a good idea uh, sometimes doesn't go far enough in a lot of contexts. The good ideas, many of them sort of dry up and desiccate on the way, but you've managed to actually implement yours. So you've you've got a clearly roots in research and, and academe in, in part of your organization. You're supporting a, a conference coming up. Can you talk or illustrate for us how this approach that you've just described is operationalized in, in the conference? Uh, 
Right. So yes, the the Canadian Injury Prevention Conference is coming up in Parachute and the BC Injury Research and Prevention Unit and the BC Centre for Disease Control are all co-hosting it. It's taking place November 2nd to 4th in Vancouver. And this is the first one since... 2013 first national conference and that that what i would say is one of the only downsides of the amalgamation previously our the four national organizations ran a, a canadian injury prevention conference every two years but that divided the risk amongst the four of us whereas it it really fell all to parachute uh, and so this this actually is a really good example of what i was just describing in terms of collaboration so our partner, um, you know, Ian Pike in, in BC, they were planning uh, a conference in BC and approached us to ask if we might want to co-host and make this a national uh, event. And that that to me was the perfect solution to, you know, being able to provide another forum for those working in injury prevention to come together. Uh, and so the the conference is focusing on some of the leading causes. Some of the streams are in, you know, motor vehicle crashes, in falls, in particular, poisoning, concussion, it sort of runs the gamut. We also are having a couple of very interesting panels that are going to look at issues that cross all across different topics, so that are not specific to any one injury area. One is you know, why isn't injury prevention a priority, especially in public health, in terms of resources, financing, that kind of thing? You see it more locally, uh, injury prevention being a priority, but not at not at the at the provincial or national levels as much as it should be commensurate with the burden. I think that's the key. You know, there is work going on. Uh, I wouldn't want to mislead anyone, but it it really is is something that isn't as high a priority as it should be. The other is the issue around data and surveillance. So there will be a panel looking at, you know, what is the data and surveillance current situation in Canada, uh, trying to understand what the priorities are going forward. Um, you know, how are the challenges to, you know, having three-year-old data in Canada? Uh, what does that, how does that impact those of us who are working in areas like advocacy and, and knowledge translation and things like that? We're also going to have a panel on how to reach out social media with social media and the partnerships between corporate um, NGOs and the public um, how we have seen some successes through program initiatives like Preventable uh, that has launched out of BC. So uh, we also are going to have a, an equity and inclusion panel. Uh, so to take a look at what role does equity and, and diversity and, and inclusion really play that social determinants of health and how important those are in the injury prevention field and to our successes. Great. You mentioned a collaboration. Is it with the Canadian CDC in terms of the uh, yeah with the with the BC CDC? So that's uh, British Columbia um, B, uh, Centers for Disease uh, Control. Yes, right. we have a federal agency called the Public Health Agency of Canada, which is similar. Right, and yet, uh, and, and presumably, that some of the national data collection 
would occur through both of those two organizations, both for the province, but also for the country. Exactly. It's collected provincially and territorially, and then it's rolled up into a national. So we, the data we get comes from different sources, and, and some of those are reported in different ways. So death data is reported in a calendar year, uh, emergency room data, and, and then hospital admissions in a, in a fiscal year, so in a different fiscal year. So yeah, so it's a, we're going to have a really good conversation, I think, about what, what that means to those of us who need to work with data and in order to show what the priority is and where the, the focus should be on those serious and fatal uh, causes of injury. Yes, and you're speaking about those challenges from a country which has actually got quite a, a well-recognized history of data linkage and uh, use of, of good quality data. So it just shows the complexity of data integration in general, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Use for, for health purposes. You also talked very much from a a classic public health uh, understanding of disease when you were talking then. You were talking about burden of disease. You were talking about uh, social determinants. You were talking about uh, the, the various cultural impacts on uh, people's lives and societies that actually have adverse consequences and, and beneficial consequences. Now, do you think public health uh, in the modern age is actually also not actually recognised at that level of... of um, complexity that we we tend to, to trivialize all conversations around health to a much more health service provision type um, conversation uh, yeah I would agree I, I mean except for the role of public health in the the past two years throughout the pandemic I don't know that the public has a good understanding of the role of public health and the idea that, you know, public health, you need every day <laughs> in various ways. Um, whereas the medical or acute care system, healthcare system is the one that gets the most attention and a lot of resources commensurate with, you know, what the impact can be. And, you know, recently uh, after the pandemic, well, uh, People will argue whether the pandemic is past and we're past that or not, but there has been a huge drain on our healthcare system and our healthcare services, in particular hospitals. And it's been interesting to listen to the conversations that have been happening about how much more resources are needed in terms of finances as well as human resources. And not once have I heard any conversation about the role that prevention could play, whether that's injury prevention or other. Uh, but if you take a look at even, uh, you know, a, a, an estimate of about 15% of ER visits, you know, having to do with uh, related to preventable injuries, even if you took that out of our our emergency rooms, you know, not to save that money, but to reallocate it to more important, you know, more medically um, needed interventions and solutions and services, you know, what that could mean. Uh, but the upstream approach, I think, is, is it makes sense, you know, theoretically. Uh, but I think when you get down to the making decisions on where those dollars are going to go, uh, that's not what comes up in priority. And, and it really could be a very effective solution, or at least partial solution, to some of the healthcare um, crisis and that we're facing. 
and I'll come back to that because I think that is one of the big challenges that we have. Um, but the reason why I wanted to divert a little bit around the side is, is locating injury prevention uh, in a conversation and where is the place that that uh, conversation is had in public. Um, we talk in the journal injury prevention very much from a public health perspective as, as mm -hmm. along the lines of you she described but there are injury prevention practitioners probably don't see themselves as public health practitioners and that would see themselves for instance as road safety um, mm -hmm. advocates uh, or, or even in areas of falls, drowning, poisonings, there are groups who operate uh, outside the health area, but, but inside what you've described right up front as the totality of causes that we need to be working on. Do you see any strength that Parachute has in, in holding a place for that conversation? Because I'm not sure that that place is well held inside a health service provider. A, yeah, a classic health service provider, and, and perhaps is not best held in any one of the subgroups. But you've, in Parachute, seem to have a lot of those people. Uh, while you've got a public health approach, you've got a lot of people from the other environments uh, that the risk factors occur in as part of your colleagues or part of your collaborators. Uh, yes, and that has been something that we have realized over these past 10 years, I think in the last specifically five years, uh, our role as a convener, as a connector between, because we do, we do interact with people in those various fields and exactly what you were talking about, they don't see themselves as an injury prevention practitioner, but certainly the traffic police officer um, or the fire education person is as much a injury prevention uh, practitioner as I am. Uh, and so, yes, connecting those. And, and one example is in the road safety area that we've been working on for quite a number of years is we realized that some of the interventions that we were looking for from a road safety perspective also had outcomes that were in line with the environment or climate change and healthy, active living and mental health. And so we've spent a lot of time trying to bring together representatives from all of those groups, including the urban planners and the traffic engineers and, and uh, the injury, the typical injury prevention, the usual suspects, as you will, uh, together to have these conversations. We just released a report called Change for Good Roads that does takes the first very formal step in that and looking at recommendations that we all can get behind. Because if we are collective in that way, calling for changes like bike lanes or, um, you know, other interventions, more public health uh, or more public transit use, you know, we can support each other in getting those changes. And we are, we're stronger, I think, uh, as a collective than our individual voices. And those making the decisions, having to make those policy decisions if they can tick a couple of boxes with one action, you know that makes that makes a lot of sense from a number of different um, areas. So we do uh, we do see ourselves in that role. And more recently, talking about you know the field of injury prevention and practitioners in Canada, there isn't a designation, there isn't a degree that you can get in injury prevention, um, and that will work. Going that route would work for some uh, some injury prevention professionals in mostly in the healthcare and public health sectors. But how do we pull in and, and engage 
people who are in the transportation sector, in falls, in pharmacy, in occupational health, in all those types of areas that they where they could maybe even get a certification and and then start to really build that field of injury prevention practitioners in the broadest sense uh, and pull them into the conversation. Because once you start to talk to them, they, they absolutely, oh, I've never thought of myself in that way. But now I see how that connects um, to, to injury prevention. I think the other piece that keeps those separate and, you know, we had these conversations when we first were talking about amalgamating is you know, when you talk about cancer, you understand intrinsically that that means a number of different types of cancers. We have the opposite problem. When we talk about motor vehicle collisions or falls or poisoning, people understand those. They don't see them as a collective as preventable injuries. And so I think that's that's part of the struggle that we continue to have. It, it's really what's the point of high leverage? What's the what would we do next? to the point where it becomes again, as it might have been perhaps about 20 years ago when we kicked off all of these uh, organizations, there, there was a point there where something had to happen. Um, the, the road crash problem was escalating. We were generating an inordinate number of risks through our engineering processes that we had to then re-engineer out. Um, we've moved past that perhaps where people accepted that that is something that we can do but in social contexts where we're engineering troubles that we need to think through the social determinants of to to engineer out um, so you've described a, a dilemma that we have around do we take injury and make it everybody's business which somebody people have talked about but in that case you sometimes dissipate it and lose focus or do you try and call out what injury is and insert it into key points and get people to call themselves injury prevention practitioners even when they didn't think they were? Or is there some sort of strategic exchange which goes on, which I think is where you've, the point you arrived at, is where you have a conversation mm -hmm. and you work out what's in everybody's best interests to achieve their own individual goals and recognize that by working together, you're achieving an injury prevention goal at the same time. Parachute seems to be a mechanism for having done that better than any other example I can think of at the moment. So where would you go next with where you've got to, to run that flag up the pole and say, right, we're now at a point where we can use this to, to step forward into injury prevention future? It's a, it's a really good question, and I don't know that we have figured it out yet. I think what we have used is this success from this collective that we've created in, in the road safety field and looking at how do we apply that in the falls prevention? How do we apply that in, in, in poison prevention? So, uh, but as you say, those are, you know, addressing it as topic-based. How do we how do we also do work at the at the higher level of integration that and uh, interesting Kathy Belton and I had a, a conversation recently and and she said we have a branding problem we have a PR problem we have an image problem about injury prevention uh, you know I wonder if that's a, you know some expertise that we might bring in is how do you uh, how do you address a PR problem of a field or a concept or a you know a 
initiative. And so we haven't answered that question yet, but it has been asked. And I think it's going to be a focus for Parachute in the next number of years as we strategically look at where do we go next in order to make progress on those issues that of awareness of recognition of the connections between these issues because people don't people don't live their lives as a as somebody who has had a motor vehicle crash and a this you know a this incident or that um you know they're holistic so how do we how do we integrate that into our thinking as well so i think there's a number of exciting um but very complex challenges we have ahead for for the field so we're i don't i don't have a a definitive answer but we're certainly having lots of conversations in that direction and to some extent i i suspect having conversations is part of the answer isn't it as long as you have the conversations at the level that you're talking about yeah absolutely keeping them the conversation the channels of communication and you know talking to uh you know, as, as many people and finding champions who either have a, a personal connection to it or they understand from a business perspective. You know, when we talk about fall prevention, I said, we need to be talking to the construction industry and the real estate industry, and they don't see how they are a conduit and, and a, a player in the space of preventing injuries for seniors. And and I learn things every day. So apparently in Ontario, at least real estate agents can take a course specifically on older adult buyers. And when they're looking for, um, you know, resale or, or looking for homes that in their, in their older years, you know, being able to advise them on some of these things. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Because we as injury, I mean, parachute is about 18 staff. Uh, we certainly can't be everywhere in Canada and we can't be in every sector. So how do we, how do we make those connections so that, that we can leverage those networks that others have? Yeah. Um, and that might be a great spot to leave it. Uh, conversation thank you with this notion of leveraging across the entire community uh, and uh, the conversations that you're setting up for the future i would like to be at that conference unfortunately won't be but it sounds like it's going to be a fascinating one yeah i hope it is i think there's there's you know real excitement about getting together again and some of the innovative things that we want to talk about and and be able to explore thank you very much for your time pam Thanks, Rod. Our conversation today has been with Pamela Fuseli, the President and CEO at Parachute. For those of you wishing to learn more about some of the topics we've covered today, I invite you to visit the journal's website at injuryprevention.bmj.com. You may also wish to visit Parachute's website at parachute.ca. And uh, once you're there, you'll also be able to find the website for the Canadian Injury Prevention Conference details. We look forward to you joining us again next month. And I remind you that you can download Injury Prevention Podcasts each month on the first Thursday from your favourite platform or app. <laughs>